sofas, recliners, love seats. Everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute. Who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. And we're back. With an all-new episode of Keep It, I'm Iron Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel, and I, as of this taping, am up on the hottest show on television. And do you know what that is? Mmm, let me guess. Uh, something old. You are correct. It is <laughs> Siskel and Ebert. Guys, I don't know how this happened to me. Um, I think literally on Twitter, uh, now more so than even like a year ago, people just say things like, I miss Ebert now more than ever. And I love Roger Ebert. Like, I love uh, reading his old reviews. If I'm watching something that's from 2012 or before, I always look up what he says, which is crazy because it means I care about, you know, a straight man's opinion, which constitutionally okay, so is not my thing. I weirdly do the same. And yeah. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, I mean, shout out to him for being, you know, immortal in yeah. that way. But um, any old movie that I watched that I haven't seen before, I'm always like, well, what did Ebert say about it? I This is what I've been thinking about. What is the thing that I have to know about his opinion when I watch anything? It's like, I don't know, it's like he's weirdly like not judgmental at all or has nothing to prove and is just coming in with a very casual understanding of characters that feels very opening and welcoming. And also, it's very strange to just watch him, first of all, debate with Siskel and Ebert because, or de debate with Gene Siskel because you forget that straight men can be bitches. Oh my God. <laughs> These cats go at it. Um, but it's interesting because when you, when you watch them debate, and I've been obsessed with watching their best ofs every year, they literally did a 10 best of uh, the year episode in movies going from like the 70s on through uh, till Gene's death at, at, uh, in the late 90s. And it's something like, it's the combination of Roger Ebert's, like, fair, but kind of, like, poetically sympathetic point of view, and then Gene Siskel, whose point of view I, like, care about less, but he, he like, writes about movies like a reporter. Like, he he's, like, at the, uh, it's, like, at a courthouse meeting, he's taking minutes of the movie and telling you exactly mm -hmm. what happened and offering a little bit of perspective, but rarely getting kind of um, sappy or coming to an essayist uh, conclusion, which is what Roger Ebert does. I don't know. I'm just obsessed with it. I cannot stop watching it. I I have a few more years to go. I remember seeing a tweet from someone, um, maybe it was even you, maybe not, but someone described Ebert the way he would argue with people. They were like, um, I like to win arguments the way Ebert does by just um, talking over the person who's responding to you and then saying, time to move on. That's me. Yes, that was my tweet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whatever he would have, like, a guess. Because I specifically remember, before he picked Roper, uh, he was having, like, a rotating cast of guests. And Joyce Kulholic was on. Yes, uh, I know exactly what review you're about to talk about. Yes. Uh -huh. And she called it one of the greatest movies ever made. And he was like, listen, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he got up in her face. But also, that, I think, is one of the best things about that show. Literally, the look in his eyes when he's either disappointed in Gene or surprised. <laughs> 
surprised by Gene is just it's so content. It's so like the 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 light of the world is drained from his face, and yet he is still talking emphatically. It's like he's holding back a tantrum and keeping it witty, which is as far as I know, like the closest thing I will ever achieve to hero behavior. Like it felt, mm. I, uh, it's just, it's just so fun to watch. Again, it's like, it's, it's like how it goes from um, diplomatic to extremely petty, sometimes on a dime. I love mm. that dynamic. And also it's like, they're talking about these movies only for, you know, a minute or two at a time. It's not like they can achieve real depth. In fact, I'm surprised by the amount of times Gene Siskel just settles for com- calling something smart and then moves on. But they still do in fighting even just for a second really make you need to see the movie. I can't explain it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like um, that was one of the benefits of when I would watch it as a kid. You know, it's like, it's not just his opinion. When two people are arguing about something, you're really, you really sort of want to see it yourself to see if, whose side you're on. Right. You know? And I feel like I, I need to revisit Gladiator because I did not like it when it first came out. Um, but this, of course, is me like a freshman in high school. It felt like a very bro, dumb movie. Um, but I wonder if I would really like it now because it feels like everyone loves Gladiator. Yeah, Or maybe right. they're just excited for Gladiator 2. Yeah, and there's also a contingent that considers Gladiator, you know, like a perfect best picture. You know, like everybody mm-hmm. went to go see it. It's a it's a better than average blockbuster. Great performances therein. Uh, mm-hmm. uh you know, not my thing at all necessarily, but I do support Paul Mescal culture, so maybe I will revisit it too. Paul Mescal, Barry Keoghan, and now Denzel Washington. Like, what are we doing here? What? Yes. I had no this idea is, he was added. Yeah, this is now the cast from Gladiator 2, and this is like, there are certain times when Ridley Scott like really taps into like camp or like something that gays want to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like the casting of Paul is part of that. Um, just like Thelma and Louise, Ridley Scott, like right. old school Ridley Scott, where where it was fun, like Alien, you know? Um, not his bad movies in the center. Are you suggesting there's maybe a Lady Gaga movie that could qualify for this? <laughs> I don't know what one you could be speaking about. House of Gucci. <laughs> yeah, that is the one I was thinking about. Which was not as camp as it should have been. Right. That's one of my least favorite things a movie can be when you assume you're getting something, you know, Mildred Pierce level dramatic or whatever, mahogany level crazy, and instead you get something that is stayed and expected ultimately, but the characters all have that American hustle wig shop look. I feel like all the money in the world was more entertaining than House of Gucci. I actually really liked that movie. It was good, yeah. Amazing. Mark Wahlberg, there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's usually the score. Again, we have not dragged him over the coals enough for calling the movie Women Are Talking. I'm not over it. It's a two-word title, and he messed it up. And why? Because it's about women. That's why. He sucks that much. One of my That's least favorite sequel. celebrities who ever lived. That's the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> First it was women talking. Now it's women are talking. Actually, women are talking sounds like a movie title from like 84. Oh, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a movie from, like, the 30s, you know? Like, uh, oh, the flappers are all getting together. The women are talking. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, speaking of women talking. (laughs) Your segue's second to none. (laughs) We got a Wahlburger of a show for you. (laughs) We are talking to the fantastic Jessica Williams, 
this week about her amazing role in Shrinking on Apple TV, which I am now obsessed with. I love this show, too. We had Michael Urie on before, and mm-hmm. you know, one day I believe we will tempt fate and be in Harrison Ford's uh, line of sight, and I think we will be melted. But until then, <laughs> I look forward to being alive. As long as we don't interview him on a plane. <laughs> there was a joke on uh, Kimmel recently where... Uh, somebody said uh, he crashes those planes on purpose, just like as, I don't know, <laughs> for fun, because he needs something to do. It's giving Final Destination. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> we need so... to not get him on a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> and also, we are going to go deep on the hottest topics on gay Twitter this week. Miley Cyrus's new album, Endless Summer Vacation. Her name is Ashley O, but I forgive you. And also, we'll be having a full spoiler chat about Scream 6 and the Scream franchise. So, skip that section if you haven't seen it yet. And franchise being a very operative word and one that pops up in the movie in a pretty fun way. (laughs) Uh, So we will be right back with more Keep It. Spring has sprung. And even though it is still raining in L.A., like right now, it is so... It, I can't even say it's like whimsically Seattle outside. It is effing Cleveland out there. I am living. <laughs> Take that, Ohio. But if you ask Miley Cyrus, summer never ended. Endless summer vacation has been killing it on the charts. But where does it fall in the scope of her discography? Ira, do you care about this album? You know what? I think um, it's not giving summer vacation. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think maybe it's giving um, cute weekend. It's giving weekend getaway. Yes. Where you spend yeah. one of the days in your hotel room a little sleepy. Yeah. Uh, it's not a great album for me. It's not. Um, I'm sorry, Diva. I'm just not feeling this one. <laughs> I, for, I, okay. There was a meme recently where somebody calls themselves Detective Fierce and they're interviewing somebody and they call the person Diva. My friends and I cannot stop calling each other Diva right now. It is so <laughs> funny. It's like the most extra noun in the English language. I, I love the people who use it unironically because we all have a friend who will be like, hey, Diva. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes, you should be on Joan Rivers' Straight Talk panel with Billy Eichner and Andy Cohen. Oh, okay, we need to explain that quickly. Somebody posted on YouTube recently a failed pilot on Bravo uh, with Joan Rivers, and she's the host of like a View-like panel, and on the panel are four other gay men, two of whom I had never heard of before, which, that's crazy, but two of them are Andy Cohen, and that year would be the one when Real Housewives of Orange County premiered, so he's on The Ascent, mm-hmm. and Billy Eichner, who is still years away from Billy on the Street becoming a thing, but, wow, they would just sit there with Joan and uh, yak it up. One of them is Preston Conrad, who's a celebrity stylist, and still apparently, you know, like, um, being on E. Um, they have to go somewhere. Yeah. And then the other one was LZ Granderson, who she describes as a black Republican. Um, so I was immediately not interested in hearing anything he had to say. <laughs> Uh, how how hard did they have to search for that? And he was also a sports writer or something. Yeah, it's like they cast they they drew this person up. I don't think he seems to be one anymore. Um, because I feel like you know it, it was probably very trendy to be a black Republican on TV like 2006, right? Bush era. It seems yeah. so quaint then, even though of course it was horrible. Yeah, uh, but I just love before we move back to Marley. I just love. Joan's introduction of Andy Cohen. She's like, and he, and he slept with everyone in New York. Andy Cohen. 
<laughs> Vibes of David Letterman introducing Madonna on her famous 1994 appearance where she said the F word 13 times. He said, our next guest has slept with some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry. <laughs> Rough. <laughs> but anyway, somebody who uh, reminds me of Madonna in certain defiant ways, uh, Miley Cyrus. Here's my main complaint about the album, even though I think there are pretty good songs. And one song in particular negates what I'm about to say. Are we done with vibes yet? I think we are good on vibes. I am simp- I am like drowning in, I'm like waterlogged with vibes at the moment. I just don't, I need like a key change. I need like inspired music. I need something that doesn't just fit into a Spotify algorithm, which is how all music is sort of like, it's like all funneling into the same like mushy, electronic, uh, moody, vibey sound. Mm-hmm. I feel the same, although my favorite song on the album is Handstand, which is nothing but vibes. True. Uh, my favorite is Island, which is nothing but vibes. Mm. Yeah. Um, listen, it's a very sort of like electronic album. You know, it seems at times like, you know, you're listening to Air or Daft Punk or something, mm-hmm. but like the latter half of an album, not a single. Um, I loved Flowers, you know? I thought Flowers was a really fun song. Um but the rest of the album is just sort of like not giving a lot to me. And it's brought up the conversation with a lot of people um, online who are just wondering sort of like, what is the definitive Miley album? You know, does she have a perfect no skips album? I think she does. But it is not Bangers as much as I love that album. Well, Bangers to me feels like a Madonna album and that you could have deleted seven tracks and then you would have had a cohesive, pretty perfect (laughs) album. But instead, there's too many like moments of confusion on it. You really do think she has a perfect album. Which one is it? I think it's Can't Be Tamed. Oh, you do love that one. I love that video. I love that album. I love it. I think, first of all, like Liberty Walk, you put that on and you're going to strut. Okay, you're gonna strut. You're gonna strut for freedom <laughs> and liberty. Long strut to freedom, my favorite <laughs> documentary. Uh, my heart beats for love. Perfect. Okay, who owns my heart? Robot. These are songs. Okay. <laughs> Children were singing. When you're full of passion, you can't help but break out into meme. Like that's what, that's how you express yourself. You're you're like these a were, conduit for memes to exist. <laughs> these are songs. Um. <laughs> I love that album, but you know, because that's st- that was sort of also when Miley, you know, was teetering between old Disney Miley and like you know current Miley. Um, her can't be tamed era, you know, was ev- every pop star has had that, you know, like and you know, it's um Christina Aguilera they, stripped, yeah, you know, it's a uh, Britney slave for you, you know, it's uh and it, she, you know, she was in a cage in the video with these big wings, and it's so over dramatic and fun, but God damn it, I love that album uh and i also want to say that i do enjoy bangers a lot too because i like the mike will made it era and i think that i am also over the judging miley for the um hip-hop era that she uh-huh. had uh where she was twerk- twerking on everybody okay she was like a dr seuss book okay she was she was twerking <laughs> on pop she was twerking <laughs> on robin thick <laughs> She was twerking over here, over there. Um, <laughs> on a train, on the plane. <laughs> but I feel like I'm going to blame the men who were involved. Like, sure. Michael made it. Like, Juicy J. Like, they were giving her, like, this hip-hop cred and bringing her out everywhere. You know? Like, it's not like she all of a sudden was like, you know what? I'm down with the people. I'm going to be black today. You know? She wasn't, like, giving Iggy Azalea. 
And I just want to say that after the twerk-heavy era, she did the thing you would expect, which is retract with a really zen, you know, uh, era, like the Malibu song and stuff, which Mm. I don't think anybody really looks back on all too fondly. Actually, I think there are some stands in that way. In the way that there are stands for that Lord album nobody listens to. Yeah, listen, Younger Now is a even worse album than this one. Uh, It's extremely boring. Uh, I love Malibu. I love the title track. And that's about it. Um, I, I do want to say, by the way, about Flowers on this album, this is her Can't Get You Out of My Head because I think every artist once in their lifetime is due that hypnotic mid-tempo track. There's something about exactly that speed where you just can't forget it. If it were any faster or any slower, it would not have that magical quality. A song I always talk about in this way is Physical by Olivia Newton-John. There is something Mm. about this speed of that song that is so exactly right, where it's like you almost want it to be faster, and because of that, you find the beat even more propulsive. Like, there's an anxiousness to the speed the song picks. Uh, Mm. You are Goldilocks when it comes to BPM. (laughs) Yes! That's me. <laughs> Eating porridge uh, <laughs> and Vegemite as I celebrate Olivia Newton-John. Uh, I would also say that I really enjoyed Plastic Hearts. Wait, that's the, the one with album. the, the Benatar-esque uh, yes, Midnight Sky. Yes, that one was like her rock album. That was... That one was fun. It felt upbeat. It felt very, it felt very much the Miley that we get in person, you know? Yes. Every time you see Miley at a party, like... She's got the sunglasses on. She's got the boa on like she did um, at the um, launch party for this album. You know, at like Gucci Osteria in Beverly Hills. But she like she always looks like she's having the most fun at the party, right? And I feel like Plastic Hearts exemplified that. I don't know like how you're turning up to most of this album, you know? Right. Also, by the way, it just speaks to how great she has been at covering rock songs. She's so fucking good at it. Her covers are amazing. Blondie. Oh, please. I mean, like, this is sort of a rock song, but like her Jolene cover when she Mm -hmm. was at the SNL anniversary and sang 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Just like, Mm. these are songs that we would never pair with her instinctively. And the minute she sings them, it's like, oh, you're like a a student, first of all, of old rock and roll music. But second Mm -hmm. of all, it's just not contrived at all. it's It's not vibey. It's just pure talent emerging. I love her cover of the Cranberry Zombie. Perfect song for her. Um, and that that is that reminds me of like back in back when she was doing all these covers the most, right? Uh, I was sort of wondering if we would get a covers album from her, which would be fun. I, I don't feel like people release them anymore, um, unless you're Kelly Clarkson. Uh, it but, is crazy that we still get a cover from her every day. And also, I day. always agree with the kind of uh, boringly repetitive stands about her. I'm like, all right, yeah, she did cover Jasmine Sullivan well. Well, who knew? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't do enough with her either, by the way. We like, can't that's figure it out. With, I think a, Kelly Clarkson a, is a little bit of a puzzle for everybody because yeah. she is this combination of utterly dependable talent and then never, like, just south of cool, but also just north of square. So we yeah. don't know what to do with her other than give her a talk show. And it's this big bluesy voice, and it's like when you when you listen to her albums, like there are so many songs that never become her singles too, where she's just like letting it out. Um, but you know, um, 
we sort of like don't do a lot with her. And I feel like part of it is because, you know, like, you know, she's always talked about this publicly. Like she got married, she became a mom, you know, she's not like a skinny blonde pop star anymore, mm-hmm. you know, which is what she first started out as. And I feel like that during her career, as she got older, people were just sort of like, oh, well, we're just going to stick her into adult contemporary world. Right. And I don't feel like we have pop stars of the sort that we did in the early 90s where, you know, like Annie Lennox is on the charts and Unavoidable or Katie Lang or people like that. Mm -hmm. So it's like what zone is there for Kelly Clarkson to dominate other than her daytime slot where she can do a 90-second cover of something and entertain? The only adult contemporary pop star we have on the charts is is Pink. Right. And she's still... You know what? Trust Fall is a fine song. The video is okay. <laughs> I just need her to evolve the aesthetic a little bit. I'm a little tired of her right now. Uh, mostly because every time Pink sits in her interview chair, she is always dragging someone else. And you that find that exhausting? With. No. <laughs> well, I find it I find it fun, but I just I I want I want more of the like you know uh, if you if you're gonna do that like I need you to go a little bit harder. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Where it's like, oh, you know, like, I love Shaka Madonna. Khan. Go and the full Shaka this, Khan. You know? yeah. No, just be like, Madonna's a bitch. <laughs> I was, yeah, you're right. Because Pink has a long history of dragging Christina Aguilera. I guess she had a horrible time making the Lady Marmalade video. But she also recently talked about how she was supposed to or expected to get the song Beautiful from songwriter Linda Perry, who wrote Get the Party Started, mm-hmm. Four Non Blondes, Legend. And instead, of course, that went to Christina Aguilera. And Pink said, and Christina killed it on that track. And I wanted her to say, fuck Christina, you know. Right. Be Come like, on. It wasn't good. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, she was loud. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, Beautiful, as you know, is secretly one of my least favorite songs because it's a song for, that's right, ugly people. <laughs> this, is the, this is my same theory about Dancing on My Own, a song for losers. I'm what watching other... the person I have a crush on dancing. That's how mm. my night is being spent. Go get a drink. <laughs> Do you also hate Unpretty? Unpretty, I, I, I think, is a better song. Like, I like mm. the kind of R&B elements to it. Yeah. But at least that's owning it. Like, I feel ugly. I'm saying it, you know. I'm, whereas I feel like... Uh, I feel like the Robin song is someone pretending it's somehow noble for them to be standing there having a miserable time at a in the middle of a discotheque or whatever's going on in that song. Mm, yeah, that is why I always prefer Call Your Girlfriend. That's a sassy song. Love that, that song. One, yeah, yeah. That one's like, um, okay, what are we doing here? You yeah. know? <laughs> right. Uh, you know you're a bad bitch and Call Your Girlfriend. Uh, but I would actually, going back to Unpretty, you know what saves Unpretty? The video is high camp. Oh, Jesus Christ. The scene where she runs out of the plastic surgeon's office knocking the uh, breast implants out of his hand, (laughs) that is beautiful. Yeah, telenovela (laughs) shit. (laughs) It really makes me miss, uh, and we've logged for the TRL era for so long um, on this show before, but it really makes me miss the era where there'd be the charts, the 10 different videos that you're watching. Yeah. um, And it wasn't an algorithm. It was like 10 different random videos because you would go from that to like um, corn yeah. to then silver chair. writhing on the ground. Yeah, you know, right. It's everything. It, run the, it ran the gamut. I, by the way, I just want to say, obviously everyone who's our age laments the, the loss of TRL in some ways, but 
it really is mysterious that we would just sit there and call in every day to see, I'm going to say about 30 seconds of a girl having an eating disorder in the Anna song video. <laughs> what? What were we doing? Why did I need to see that again? And after school? So shocking. Yeah, it, and 30 seconds is, is right. Because at a certain point, they really stopped airing the videos. And it just became a lot of content surrounding. Uh, we could see the slow decline of TRL. Because it really just became Carson interviewing people or segments with screaming fans, like the actual videos themselves would be like, well, here's 10 seconds of this. Right. And, and then, and now here's Ananda Lewis getting eardrum damage from screaming people in the streets. <laughs> she was great in that uh, Woodstock 99 documentary, by the way. Um, what else is there to say about Miley? I really enjoy her. I enjoy Miley as a celebrity. It's so interesting to me because I feel like um, she's so exciting as a pop star. Um, but the music has never really risen up to being iconic, legendary. I, I think you just put your finger on it, which is that she's a really cool person and cool person to keep track of because she is like mm. she's somebody who uh, never wants to be bored, for example. No. And 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 never and I'm will never bore bored. you. I, yeah. I'm never bored by her. You know, yeah. sometimes the music is boring. I but... think the deal is she's not a brilliant artist. She's just mm. a, a, somebody who is restless and willing to try things. And that still, mm -hmm. for the most part, hasn't landed any signature moments for her outside of, you know, like we do have Wrecking Ball. We do have Twerking on Robin Thick, But I'm still <laughs> waiting beyond flowers for the definitive Miley as our artist moment. Who would you compare her to even, you know, because I mean, like there's plenty of artists that we have, you know, who we remember for being artists, but. Do you really remember those specific albums or like iconic moments? Or maybe they just had one single. Well, I would compare her in a way to, I mean, like, I guess she is technically a songwriter on all these songs. Like I'm looking yeah. at the credits and she's on them, but she still to me feels more like a Ronstadt and that she has this extraordinary instrument and she wants to try a variety. She, she wants to never do the same thing twice. So you're always mm -hmm. going to get something different, even if it's maybe not your personal style or what you would normally seek out. Um, I do think Linda Ronstadt is maybe the Yale of this world and mm -hmm. like is is more historically interesting so far. But um, I always look forward to what Miley Cyrus does next, even if I don't like what she puts out. You know what? That's what that's why I made a Spotify playlist called Mini Summer Vacation. The four songs I like, and I kept it moving. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Lavender song. That's a pretty good song too. Yeah. Uh, also, Jaded. Jaded, I feel like a lot of people agree, is like one of her other fantastic songs on the album. I feel like, like that. Like It's barely better to me than the Aerosmith song Jaded, which, by the way, also played in VH1's Top 20 Countdown way too often. Guys, it wasn't that good. <laughs> Honestly, she would have killed in Aerosmith era. Yes. No. I, I Again, rock covers. Let's. I'm sure she has sung Dream On at this point. Yeah, or Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Like, g give us that cover, by like, give us a song that samples that, to be but, honest. Right. But then, of course, Diane Warren haunts you for the rest of your days. So you have to watch out. <sighs> well, listen, she's already the Phantom of the Academy. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Did I tell you I ran into her when I was backstage? Uh, Did you? I, we have a mutual friend, and I said something to her. And Looking for was, an Oscars hit? Yeah. <laughs> you know it. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to see you perform. And she goes, I'm shitting myself. He's <laughs> like, you? All you do is perform. <laughs> Come Should on, Diane. Yeah, right. 
We'll see you next year when you're nominated again. Yeah. Um, she, she's got to be do a Lifetime Achievement Award. Oh, no, they gave her one this year. Uh, she has oh, an honorary right. Oscar, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot they don't air those. No. It's actually very strange. Uh, yeah. Like, imagine not airing Samuel L. Jackson's. Right. Like, one of the most popular actors alive currently. And, like, everybody loves him. You know, yeah. like, sh- show it on TV. People will watch it. We could have gotten Tarantino up there. Would have been fun. A friend of mine was just saying he was at some sort of screening. It was a comedy, an old comedy. And after everybody would laugh at the jokes, 10 seconds later, somebody else would let, let out a horse cackle, and it turned out to be Quentin Tarantino, which is so right. Like, he's on his own rhythm with these movies. He's probably seen them all 100 times, too. <laughs> Can't wait for his Pauline Kale masterpiece. Oh, right. Oh, we've not even discussed that. We what haven't. a weird he- project. How do you make being a film reviewer cinematic i don't understand i don't know how he's gonna do it yeah but he has a new movie coming out supposedly his last movie called the movie critic uh and it's about a female critic in the 70s uh and we can assume it's gonna be pauline kale uh who would play her though i don't know especially since if it's the 70s so this is somebody who's gonna be in their 40s i guess i saw uh i think uh harriet sansom harris put up i mean she'd be a little old for the role but, like, we we want to see more of her, obviously. But you know it's going to end up being someone Jennifer lawrence right? Like, he's going to no. put, some like, a sweetheart in the middle of the movie and then make her do, be a complete asshole. I feel like that's what appeals to him. I randomly started thinking, like, what if it was just, like, a, a curveball and it was, like, a Lupita Nyong'o? Your lips to God's ears. I'm waiting for her, what, fourth film role? Come on now. <laughs> Guys, I saw uh, Queen of Kotchway, and none of you did. So, whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would just love to see her in that role. I just want more... I like the 70s as an era, you know? And I especially Please. like black fashion from the era. And I don't think we have enough of those movies. If half the movie is just people complaining about the way Faye Dunaway just treated them, honey, <laughs> to Oscars... And listen, as we talk about this, I already have River stuck in my head from Endless Summer Vacation. So maybe you win after all, Miley. Uh, When we're back, Jessica Williams joins us to talk about shrinking. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated. So, don't believe the dupes. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times, okay? You're going on Oprah, you get in the car, and you're getting some Barefoot Dreams. Dressing head-to-toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort, as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. So, for Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. 
The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town. It was also pretty boring, by the way. To The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and made to compete in a beauty pageant. Amazing to watch, by the way. On each episode of Wondry's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition for women who were hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then they were ranked by a panel of judges. And that's just after Truman Capote was done with them. Unsurprisingly, it led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus. Beyonce, Katanji Brown-Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, The Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color-founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids' books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life, maybe that's yourself, to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. There's no way you're not already a fan of our guest today. From The Daily Show to Two Dope Queens to Intergalactic, Love Life, so many things. And right now, you can catch her on Shrinking as the lovable and captivating Gabby. Please welcome to Keep It, Jessica Williams. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Lovable and captivating. I really appreciate that. Okay, but seriously, because uh, first of all, we just had uh, Michael Yuri on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, 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 and, as I and live and die. What a love funny, him. funny, funny man. <sighs> He's just so funny. I I have this dream. I live in... um. Eagle Rock now in, in LA and I he I think he's like looking for a house and and I really want him to buy in this neighborhood and I go on walks now I, I just I started walking a couple months ago and sometimes I'll just be like oh it would be so great if Michael lived over here I think about it all the time and I don't think about that with a lot of people well don't you think he'd be like a great neighbor he would be oh god he would yes. be and that is I feel like what makes the show so fun because we st- I started watching it because, mm-hmm. you know, he was coming on the show, but now I'm obsessed with it. And I feel like it's okay. it's got that classic, you know, that Bill Lawrence thing, you know, like that Cougar Town vibe. Like, the people on this show, it's like, you. I want them to be my neighbors. I want them to come over and have wine with me. I want them to just show up at my job uh, at random times and talk to me about whatever it is they want. Like, the chemistry of everyone on the show is just really enjoyable to watch. Oh, that's great. That's a dream. I have that. Uh, I used to have that, especially a lot with Springfield. I used to wish I could live in The Simpsons yes. uh, quite a bit. <laughs> uh, I'd be like, oh, it's so cozy here. I like all the colors. I love all these people. Uh, I wish I could live in Springfield. So that that means a lot. So I have to ask the eternal question about this show, which is, 
I just think um, there are only a few intimidating celebrities. Um, I just want to say that Megan Fox is one of them. And I am still afraid of her. And I, I just feel like I'm going to run have into her. Have you met her? Oh, once, years ago. She was perfectly hilarious, by the way. Delightful. Oh I know that would scare me. That would like throw me off too. It's like all that beauty and the brains. Like I would just be like, what's going on? Like, and the sense of humor, like that would all scare me. I get afraid of, um, I get intimidated by, um, people who are like five feet two, like, like mm. small cause I'm six feet tall. So if there's like a woman who's like five, three, I get like, I'm like intimidated. I'm like, I don't want to hurt like you. Like, I don't want to, like I'm, I'm intimidated, and then it just becomes into because I'm so tall. I just get a little intimidated. <laughs> but are you talking about Harrison Ford? I am. I am talking about Harrison Ford. Yeah, I assume I, I kind of stop your your transition. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, in talking to Michael Urie, he was talking about how he was immediately disarmed by how professional and uh, rad Harrison Ford was, and I was wondering what your rapport was like with him on set. That's funny. Um, yeah, I, I I love um Michael and Harrison together. I love all their scenes. Um and I think with me, I was a little I think it took me a couple of days to get used to it of like, oh, that's Harrison Ford. Oh, I was born in 1989. Oh, you know, Indiana Jones Last Crusade came out in 1989. I've known about him, you know, my whole life. And then he is um he's uh disarmingly casual in a good way. And, you know, there's a little bit of that. So I, I got used to him pretty quickly, like pretty instantly. And um, a lot of times, like the first scenes I filmed with Harrison was with Jason. And Jason uh, is very, very casual. So I kind of had him a bit as a buffer and to kind of lean on a little bit to get used to Harrison's face. Um, and then all the scenes in the kitchen between Gabby and... Um, Paul and Jimmy, um, those scenes come really naturally. And a lot of times, you know, Paul's character is supposed to be this sort of, you know, big sort of looming mentor kind of for for Gabby and and for Jimmy. Uh, and so I kind of use that to to help. Um, that that kind of informs Gabby and Paul's relationship too. You know, in my in the back of my mind. Like it is Harrison Ford, but then, you know, 85 to 90% of my brain doesn't give a shit. And what's fun about that, and I think what's fun about creating chemistry um, as an actor is every single relationship is funny. And it's really important to me to try and figure out why each relationship is funny and to zoom in and attack things with specificity. And so I just use that stuff with Harrison, but I'm pretty used to him by now. Um. Another thing I really enjoy about it, too, is, like, you play a therapist in the show. Um, but because you're working with, you know, Harrison and also Jason, you know, it it skips that whole annoying trope that's been on TV lately where there's always just, like, a black woman therapist helping white people. Uh, and I feel like you get to be, like, such a three-dimensional black woman who's a therapist on the show. Yeah, I, I saw a, a really interesting discussion on Twitter about that um, a few weeks ago about the black the black woman therapist trope. Um, and yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think Gabby is, you know, a therapist and a group full of therapists. I think that she just kind of gets to 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 live and breathe. And, and I think the show is really aware and does a great job of being aware that she's kind of a 
she does have that fixer kind of caretaker um, sort of uh, part of her personality that I think um, I can definitely relate to. And that a lot of times, um, you know, a lot of people of color, you know, can have and and women. Um, So I think, you know, that is a part of a, a really kind of multidimensional character. And I got to improvise a lot on set and, a lot of times on the show, they really just kind of let me go, which was really fun. And they just kind of let me goof. And I think I keep saying, like I said that earlier, it's it's morning for me. It's like 10, 15. And that's pretty early for me. But I'm out like attacking things with specificity. And I think um, it, it makes it a lot easier to sidestep tropes if I can always try and be as specific as possible um, whenever I'm playing Gabby. But I thought that that was a really interesting um, discussion about um, on Twitter about like the black therapist trope. We should say, by the way, that the Jason in question is Jason Siegel, who's great to see on this show. Uh, the whole ensemble is fabulous. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Um, yeah, he's amazing. Also, this episode, we're talking about Miley Cyrus, and uh, you actually have something in common with her mm-hmm. that I think people forget about you, which I is you come from. <laughs> okay, we'll get to those. We'll get to those. But I do. I think about Miley Cyrus all the time. I have a lot of thoughts. I want. I wish I could hear the first part of what you guys said about my lead, but what were you going to say? You think the album is more vibes heavy than melody heavy? So we left a little underwhelmed. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about Miley is um, I think she's amazing and I think she's really come like come through a lot. Like, I don't think it's normal for anyone's brain to be a famous person. One, your brain's not designed for that. I don't know what it's like to be famous since you're a preteen. I don't like, you know what I mean? And I think what's beautiful about Miley is that um, she is, is very smart um, and she uh, is very like authentic and going through phases. And I think it's really cool that she made it out to a world where we can even just have a vibey album. Like to me, that speaks to someone who like, she's probably only what, like 28, 30, I don't know, but it seems like, you know, even at the end of her career, the middle of her career, she will have been incredibly prolific with all the vibes and stages that she's gone through. And it's really cool that she is so communicative and lets her fans and everyone into her world to see all of her phases. Like I'm always rooting for her and I'm always just like, great, good for you. Cause I, I feel like her life's probably pretty tough. No, I would say she's this generation's Carrie Fisher, like sort of thrust into the spotlight, but then almost as immediately as you would assume she was like overwhelmed with like how much fandom was heaped on her at a young age. Like Mm. quickly this like sardonic understanding of Mm. life and the business emerged too. And it's always a treat because Mm. she, in addition to being a very, Mm. you know, uh, talented singer is also very funny. But my, uh, the way, reason I was comparing her to you is that Mm -hmm. she came from kids television. You are a Nickelodeon (laughs) veteran. And I feel like people forget that about you. And did, did you gain anything from being a Nickelodeon star? I just feel like that is a, a, I, we need the definitive telling of what those years are like for people. That's really funny. First of all, I just want to apologize for jumping in your segues like all the time. Like I shouldn't be doing that, but <laughs> no, really. I do think about pop culture a lot. If I if I could, when I was when I'm older, I would teach like a pop culture reality TV studies class at like UCLA or something. Um, so I think it's super important. Uh, however, um, which is one of the reasons why I, w- I wanted to you guys to show, but, um, yeah, I, you know, what's funny is I just, I remembered, um, that I did that show. I grew up here in LA and 
I think I started acting when I was like 13. And it's a lot easier to do that when you when you grow up um, where I grew up. And uh, I got this show when I was 15. Um, that was a, so- a soccer show. About four girls that played soccer. We did one season. We were immediately canceled. It was executive produced by Whoopi Goldberg. I think it came out like the same year as Hannah Montana and maybe like the year, maybe I think it came out that same year. And um, it was a really interesting experience because I got to shoot at Universal Studios on the back lot. And that was a really big deal for me at the time because people were like still doing back lot tours and the Universal Studios back lot tour is like, I'm so nostalgic about it. I grew up going on it. I think it's very special. Um, and so it was really amazing to like be able to be on a lot. Um, but it was it was canceled. And so I went back to school, to high school after shooting that season and really threw myself into my high school's improv team. And so I started to do more comedy and uh, improv. And so um, that just kind of gave me that comedic bent. But that that first time being on set at 15, and um, making some really good friends who are also fellow actresses and hanging out. That was that was a big part of my teenage years. And mm. it was funny because I saw Brett. I mean, I I see Brett. Gold, I saw Brett Goldstein and like a couple of weeks ago, and I remembered. I was a little buzzed, and I remembered like, oh my gosh, would you believe that I too was on a soccer show? Once? <laughs> Do you think that's true or false? <laughs> and literally, he was like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, uh, "Let me tell you this." And it's like, "Yeah, I played a really good soccer player," and we just laughed and laughed. I want to ask about working with Brett too, um, as a, you know, a writer and creator of this show. He when he came on. Um, keep it before when we were just talking about Ted Lasso, but was also just so fascinated by how much he too loves pop culture and like loves movies uh, and just like cares about them so much. Uh, So I have to imagine like a conversation with him is just so much fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I uh, had the pleasure um, of seeing him at a couple parties the last couple months. Um, And, um, he is a really, really lovely person to be at parties with because he is very fun. Um, <laughs> he has like a really nice, just fun. Um, he's very gentle, very sweet and kind. It's like the opposite of Roy Kent in every way, which is really funny. And uh, he knows a ton about pop culture. So he's someone who you can have a really fun drink with and talk to and you're just like, wow, that was really, really fun. What a nice man. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you can't just go and have a great time at parties with everyone, but he's definitely someone that I was like, oh, that's a fun, that's a fun person to be sitting next to at a party. He's just delightful. It's very delicious. Anybody who's like, I'm sick of talking about E.T. We've talked about E.T. too many times on my podcast. I have to respect. That's my favorite movie. I know. And it was like, he really wants me to do his podcast. And he's like, he's like, what's your, and I'm at the back back of my head. I'm like, well, it's going to be like the Josie and the Pussycats movie, Blue Crush or E.T. You know what I mean? It's just like, what are you going to do? I've never heard those grouped as a trifecta before. And I'm glad to hear it now. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> you know the power three the power three <laughs> <laughs> i gotta call it the metrograph i want that i want yeah. that three right now i know <laughs> i know i'm trying to uh program i'm trying to program um we have a new place called um Vidiots, um opening up here by by where i live I mean, it's an old place but 
I get to do some really cool programming for them for uh, some screenings and stuff. And my list is wild. It's very Audie's heavy. Well, speak of him even asking you, you know, like to do his podcast to talk about movies uh, and you love pop culture so much. Um, do you miss having like a show of your own uh, when you were doing your podcast? Like it's like you could share whatever was going on in your brain at any given time. Because I know we come on this show and we're like, okay, the topics are Miley Cyrus and Scream 6 this week. And then we end up talking about Uh, anything. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I think that's why I was messing up your segues so much, uh, is that I do, (laughs) I love podcasting. I did a podcast called Suit of Queens for like five years and um, it culminated with us doing these really fun HBO specials. We did like eight. Um, And that was super fun. It was a really big part of my life. We record them live. Um, once a week uh, in front of an audience. I went to two of them. You did? Oh my God. Where did you go? Did you go to the Bell House? Did you go? I, the LA ones. I was in LA then. Oh, the terror, then the, probably the Terragram. Yeah. Or we did, I did an LA show with uh, Naomi at Peregrine, which ruled um, the Ace downtown too, which is super fun. But um, yeah, so I, and um, I love it because it was basically just like two black ladies just talking and we can talk about anything like you guys are doing on this podcast pop culture related and i'm pretty obsessed with pop culture too so um i do miss it um but i am really excited about um acting and doing that full-time because that too is like a full-time job um for me if i want to do it right and be super present i can't really have too much stuff going on um i just need to be able to focus on on the scene and so i'm able to support into the scene um but yeah i i'm really like into acting and and the great thing is we start season two um in may which is really exciting and so i have some time to to nest and do some home renovating before we start but i think it's about balance i feel like every other day um someone is talking about how they're rewatching girls online specifically Mm. have you experienced people like rewatching and then like remembering that you were in it and then wanting to talk to you about it yeah, you know, every now and then I'll get, oh, you're from Girls. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I am from so, Girls, now that um, you mention but it. But there are like some girls stand, there's some girls, there's some There's some real girl heads that know every single character that's, you know, been on there. And so, yeah, sometimes randomly I'll be like, that's Girl from Girls. And I'll be like, yes, that's <laughs> really funny. Yeah, it's really funny. If you're going to revisit an entire television show and watch an entire, like the entire six season arc of some s- series, what would it be? Mm. Mm. Oh, that's tough. You can't just say you. You should. You guys should have prepped me with that in the initial. <laughs> um, if you watched all six seasons, I'm almost done with Sex in the City. The rewatch. Yeah. Yeah, I've got six more episodes. Oh my gosh, I did that a few years ago, and lol, I cannot believe where you are right now. It changes so drastically <laughs> like at the point that you're at you're like at the point that i was at when i was watching i was like what am i watching what am i watching it's so yeah. different from you know those first few seasons but i think for me i would go lost probably lost mm. i've never seen an episode that's like a true blind spot for me i've got to get on that though i feel like you start watching it and then you get a few seasons in and then the, the disappointment sets in i don't know yeah no no, everyone was too tough on it. I'm a, I'm like a, I think it's so cozy. I think it's so cozy. 
The music is incredible. Like it's like almost Pixar, but not, but like very sweeping. And then it's like in the jungle, it's in Hawaii. So you're just like, what's the vibe? Everyone's beautiful and complicated. The acting is insane. I've seen the pilot for Lost so many times and like watching Matthew Fox just like run around the beach. Like she's always like exasperated in every scene. And like, (laughs) it's just, everyone is giving it a hundred percent. Like, it's so good. And it's fascinating to watch them try and figure out the show. And like, even they're, they're still telling really interesting, compelling mini stories, you know, which is sort of the format of Lost, even when they're trying to figure out how they're going to land this metaphorical huge plane by, you know, season six. I just think it's, I just think it's incredible. I would rewatch Lost. I feel, I haven't seen it since it aired, but I remember, I mean, week to week. I was, I, yeah. yeah, week to week, I was obsessed. Yeah, me too. Even speaking of, because I was I was telling a friend about Lost yesterday because my Sex in the City rewatch happened because my a friend of mine Carter uh, had never seen it, um, so we've been we've been watching it together, and he, you know, got ahead of me, and he's about to start the movie soon, and I remembered the Sex in the City movie came out on the same day in college as the day that um, was it Locke's body was like in the ca- casket. Uh, in the oh my God, flash forward, and that. I just remember like, yeah, us, I can't believe and- that's like actually an attack. <laughs> <laughs> we watched that episode drinking Cosmos, and then went then went drunk to the theater and watched Sex in the City. I would have been right there with you. I would have been right there with you. <laughs> Honestly, like the the vernacular of loss is so strange that you saying that I I have no idea what you mean or what it could mean, and I so you have to pick up a lot right, to even watch right, the show and understand. Right. Like the plot descriptions of right. it, so. But that's what I like about it. I think Lost really captures that sort of like JJ Abrams is always talking about, like building a mystery box, and like that that mystery itch is something that I really love. And you combine that with the sci-fi, and then you combine that with the idea that these characters are all both good and bad, and. And, and in between and you're showing the complications between these people and they're like pretty hot and they're all just like on an island it's like you gotta be kidding me with this like you gotta be kidding me with this it just has everything it just has everything jessica thank you so much for being here thank you for having me this was so fun i have to come back you're as delightful as the tv show you're currently on which we are both obsessed with and that rarely happens when we have a guest on oh, the show so. oh yeah Oh, thank God. I'll, oh, my God. I can't believe you said that. Like, you know, some guests on the show. It's, like, so controversial. Oh, my God. <laughs> a little naughty. I'm uh, no, I, that was, like, real. That was an insane thing to say, actually. <laughs> it's also been forever, <laughs> too, since I've, thing to say. <laughs> since I've tweeted out, like, I'm really loving this new show. And people have been responding, like, everyone is like, I love it. I love it. I feel like. I'd heard. Okay. I feel like all of a sudden everyone's talking about it right now. So excited for season that's two. That's nice. I mean, that's kind of the dream. A lot has to go right as an actor for you to finally be on a show that people really like. Like, you just there's so many good things that don't even make it, and so many terrible things that hopefully don't make it. But a lot mm-hmm. has to go right, and so I, I feel really, really lucky that I'm able to do this job and say like crazy shit to Harrison Ford. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> You and you and Callista, okay? <laughs> you both get to say crazy shit yeah, to her. Oh my so. god, Callista! Did I tell you guys my Callista story that I got to meet her a few weeks ago? I didn't, did I? No, no. please do. No. I got to meet Callista at a party. I got to meet Callista at a party a few weeks ago. 
never met her before. Huge Ally McBeal fan. Also just a fan of her, right? And so we're at this party and like Harrison's there too. And um, she comes up to me. She's just like, hi. I was like, hi. And I was like, first of all, I need to tell you that um, I watched a lot of Ally McBeal growing up and I think you're amazing. And I think you're like a national treasure. And like, I will never forget, never forget. And I think you're amazing. She was like, thank you, thank you. But she's like, I don't watch his stuff normally. And I was like, cool. And then she was like, but keep giving him shit. I love this. And I love your character giving him shit. And she was like, keep giving him shit. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I was like, my jaw dropped. I was just like, (laughs) but her big thing was like, keep giving him shit. She's like, I love it. And I was just like, ah. So she had like, but she had this really cool, like raw casualness that that Harrison has in a really cool way. Like she was like down. She was like down. That's that's the best way I could describe it. She seemed like a real one. That sounds like someone who started Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf in LA for a couple months. Yes. That's that's some Martha shit. That's really, yeah, yeah, yeah. That changes you. Mm-hmm. That's in <laughs> Yep, 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 yep. Anyway, I liked her a lot, but she told she's like, keep giving him shit. Mm. Now I, I gotta it. revisit Ally McBeal too. I know. Oh, it's so good. Peter it's McNichol, great. we speak your name. Yes. <laughs> we speak. Hashtag speak his name. Speak Peter's name. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, don't use the hashtag for that. No. <laughs> uh, you're so great, Jessica. This is really, really, really fun. Thank you. You too. I appreciate it. This is really fun. I can't wait to be back. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com enjoy your edible <laughs> legal disclaimer paid for by vote save america votesaveamerica.com not authorized by any candidate or candidates committee beyonce katanji brown jackson the lady who spent 500 days in a cave women are all around us and this women's history month the crooked store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color founded companies For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids' books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life, maybe that's yourself, to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. Heads up, this conversation about Scream 6 will contain spoilers for the film and the franchise as a whole. So, skip ahead 15 minutes if you have not seen the film or don't want to be spoiled. The newest installment to the Scream franchise has dropped. 
But you know who's really scared? Jenna Ortega's PR team. <laughs> first of all, she's a writer first. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> Before we even talk about Scream, we need to talk about Jenna Ortega, who is an icon in the films, and maybe kind of an icon in interviews. And I'm sorry, I know that this is bad for us as writers um, in the Writers Guild to be like, oh my God, I'm I'm loving this um, girl just being like, I, I stomped into the Wednesday offices and I said, I'm going to make history. And that's what this is. <laughs> <laughs> she basically claims she either rewrote or protested the way certain scenes were written and then kind of improvised as they filmed, which, you know, it's a Tim Burton production. It's pretty set in stone on the page, I would imagine. Yeah. So uh, a lot of people are thinking, did she have to do that? Is it her place to do that? And you are mm-hmm. suggesting, yes. I'm suggesting that I think it's hilarious. Okay, that she, right. That she's talking about it. Right. That it she's does... even did this. Because it seems like they also, maybe the Wednesday writers hate her. Uh, but I know like the, the all the team on Scream loves her. Uh, so I'm like, maybe they love her too. Maybe they also realize that Wednesday was um, a mess. Because let's just say, if she was doing some rewriting, I don't want to see the original writing. <laughs> it is interesting that we're now having a talk about how Jenna Ortega should contribute because I feel like in Scream 6 and in the Scream franchise I think we learned this time that alright first of all we don't actually need Nev Campbell which is something I insisted the last time we reviewed a Scream movie I think she's the heart and the soul of the franchise her kind of um, her cynicism her but weird optimism also like how she was going to mm-hmm. push through this and like you know be a survivor and literally survive getting stabbed three or four times every new installment. Um, I'm happy we could go on without her, but at the same time, I still feel like a deficit of this series is that the chemistry and the relationship between the sisters, Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega is lacking, and they are kind of mumbling their way through a picture that should be more dynamic than it is. Mm, That said, I do think this installment is a thumbs up, and I don't believe I would say that about Scream 5. Okay, yes. You know, so listen, I think when we first talked about Scream 5, I missed it so much. I was excited for something new. Yeah. Um, On rewatch, it goes way down. And it's actually my least favorite of the franchise. Um, But 6, so much fucking fun. Right. And, And by the way, I think it's fun despite the fact that I don't like certain set pieces in the movie. Like Ghostface Mm. comes into a bodega and just slashes through the entire thing. <laughs> it was giving messy the way the movie Halloween Kills did where yeah. Michael Myers is just assaulting firefighters on the lawn. Like you okay, well the cops would get him, okay? He's just like <laughs> he's just like clearing the entire squad right there. Uh right, because you know, he, he is black but he has a white face, so maybe the cops wouldn't arrest him. <laughs> I don't know. I love uh, your stand up. Love your stand up. <laughs> What's the deal with Ghostface? <laughs> um, yeah, that scene was a lot. It is funny how since the third movie, basically, they've always gone on this whole thing with like um, the killer is superhuman. You know, like those are the rules of a franchise. And so Ghostface just to, gets to be superhuman. And it's like, okay, like, well, like, is, is he taking steroids? Right. What's, what's happening? Is Bane underneath this mask? Uh, more so than that, Especially in the last movie, um, this this current 
trilogy, this current iteration from the um, Radio Silence directors um, who did Ready or Not, um, people are just getting sliced and diced and then hopping up and still doing gymnastics. Excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) Last installment when Gail got shot in the stomach and then she's back in the house for the final act fucking people up. No, excuse me. People get like like carved up their abdomen like fully ghostface <laughs> spells his name on them and then in the end in the final frame they're sitting on the back of an ambulance with like starbucks being like can you believe it we survived again <laughs> so here's the thing about that too it's fun to watch but i will say it's becoming a bit less dangerous or scary you know, I mean, I, will say, I wasn't I, scared. I was not scared. I will say that. Yes. Yeah. Um, except for the latter scene was very creepy to me. That scared me a bit. Uh, and Gail's extended chase scene uh, was like very like thrilling. I was very tense during it. But I was rewatching the original films. Right. You know, and Randy dying was so shocking in Scream 2. You know, and because like he was part of their core four as it was. Right. Right. And now you have a core four in this movie, you know, which includes uh, Tara and Sam and um, Chad and Mindy. Um, But I sort of feel like none of them are going to die. Right. So it feels like you're watching a TV show almost Mm -hmm. where, oh, these characters are coming back each time. You know, like I was never actually afraid that any of them were going to die. I thought Chad was done for, really. I figured Mindy was going to live when she got stabbed on the subway, you know, because yeah. the paramedics get there. But when Chad was like, you know, sliced up by two ghost face, I'm like, it, two it, of you bitches couldn't kill him? And excuse me, they were going at jackhammer speed. There was a full <laughs> minute when they weren't doing anything but stabbing. I mean, <laughs> launching at him. It makes, And he just had, was like, fro- the look on his face was, here I am dying. Here comes the dying face we all put on and scream when we're dying. Um, and lo and behold, he survived. I want to give a real shout out to Jasmine Savoy Brown in this movie because she plays, she's related to uh, Randy who was killed in Scream mm-hmm. 2. Uh, but in this movie, she plays the movie expert. And you would kind of think at this point that they had done the movie within a movie or movies commenting on movies Ouroboros enough times. I mean, they truly, you would think it would have expired after the first movie, but mm-hmm. she still really made it fun. I loved her describing the rules of movies becoming franchises as opposed to just sequels. And yeah. how and, and she gets into this, how certain characters have to survive and certain legacy characters don't have to survive any, anymore because they're so old hat. You know, who cares that somebody from the 20th century would still be living on in these movies? She was so fucking funny in that scene on yes. campus, you know? Um, if anything, I will say that I liked how, you know, um, jackhammer the movie was, you know, to yeah. steal that word from you. You know, it felt very, you know... When you try and think about horror movies that like in installments like this that are set in New York, I guess the only real comparison is like Jason Takes Manhattan, Mm -hmm. you know, and this obviously is much sleeker um, and makes more sense than that movie. Um, (laughs) Not a logical film, you know. Jason movies aren't very logical. I don't think there's like a dramaturg on that, for example. (laughs) Um, But... You know, the movies still follow the same sort of, like, format, pretty much. I do enjoy, so, the fact that we're watching a a whodunit, basically. I feel Mm. like they really took the slasher movie 
to the full whodunit level um, with the first scream. You know, you would have that before in a movie, um, like a prom night or something, but you sort of know who the killer was or you'd like see them like as a kid. You're like, okay, this person's about to be a killer. Like, who are they now? Uh, but I really enjoyed the opening for this film. Me too. And how I've- they played with those expectations of like showing us who the killer was and then they get killed by the real killer. Truly. I honestly, the opening of this movie, which stars Samara Weaving, who, by the way, is giving you the full Carly Minogue accent the entire time. (laughs) Did not expect that. Um, She's the opening actress, so you can kind of guess what happens there. But then uh, the first killer reveals himself, and you kind of think you're going to get an entirely different form of this movie that's not a whodunit at all. And Mm -hmm. it was intriguing because they just show this guy going about his day, basically. And honestly, I do think ultimately that would have been a cooler movie than what it turned into, which is a more conventional Scream movie. And I think it's a little bit of a deficit that they kind of teased something um, a little radder than uh, what we got. But I will say something uh, I love about this movie. One of the killers, uh, and by the way, spoilers, et cetera. I'm sure we top-loaded the episode with spoiler alerts, but whatever. We can't talk about this movie without talking about the killers, so here I go. Dermot Mulroney at the beginning of the movie. (laughs) I would describe him as acting poorly. And then by the end, as the killer, he really comes into his own. And I kind of loved seeing a killer who, once unmasked, becomes way, way, way more engaging. I mean, I guess you could kind of say the same thing for Laurie Metcalf, but of course she's a dynamite actress constantly. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because Laurie Metcalf and Dermot Mulroney are, you know, sort of like legacy actors um, who mean something to... To us as millennials, really, you know, like, I don't know that any young kid watching this franchise is going to be like, oh, Dermot Mulroney, you right. know, mm-hmm. at least like when we were kids watching Scream 2, like, we recognize Lauren Metcalf from Roseanne. Right, yes. I'll you know, like, oh, this, fun like, stunt casting. Right. This should have been like, if you really want to tap into like Gen Z or something, like, this should have been like, um, like David Schwimmer or something should have mm-hmm. been the killer, you know, um, someone from like, or like, you know, um, Neil Patrick Harris. You know, like, that would have been, like, interesting and fun in the same Laurie Metcalf way. I would compare the killers in the sense that I love Scream 2. You know, it's, like, my favorite of the franchise. And I do um, like it, too. Not my favorite, but I like it. But when you really think about it on paper, Mrs. Loomis as the killer is so whack. Because there's right. no way you can guess who this bitch is. But she's one of everyone's favorite ghost face reveals because when that because ma- first of all Debbie Salt is fun in the movie because she's f- like having this whole feud with Gail the whole time yeah and she's then, this neurotic reporter who exists and uh, terrorizes her in a, in a kind of annoying way yeah uh and then when she pulls off the mask at the end, Lori Metcalf is on, is like on another planet. No, right. It's the like, Steppenwolf jumped is... out. This is some stage <laughs> acting. Yeah. Gary Sinise, she... <laughs> she got the notes from him on that. Yeah. She is so fucking good once the mask comes off. And I was like, Dermot Moroni, once the mask comes off, is fantastic as well. Yes, uh, right. Unfortunately, his two kids, which who are also the killers, um, and Richie's siblings, um, Richie, the first killer from Scream 5, um, his siblings, they're kind of losers. Yeah, and also, <laughs> like, you absolutely know one of them is the killer. Like, they tease yeah. it enough times ahead of time that you you know a movie like Scream is going to make that person that they keep offering up as the killer. Like, they're, they're not going to ir- ironically shy away from him. They're, he is going to be the killer, ultimately. Um, also, I will say, 
it doesn't make any sense that direct relatives of the last killer are just flagrantly getting away with this. I mean, like... (laughs) (laughs) This is the second time. (laughs) Yeah, right. We've been here. (laughs) It's like, oh, he was a killer. Like, what what is the FBI even doing? Yeah. (laughs) And by the way, they're there. Uh, uh, Hayden Panettiere is uh, back. Uh, She was obviously great in Scream 4. And she is um, not great here. I was <laughs> wondering kind of what happened with her. She looked great, but I felt like the camera never even lingered on her for a second more than it had to. We didn't get any acting moments from her, barely any one-liners from her. It felt well, to me like they were- Well, she hasn't been acting right. for a while. It felt to me so, like they were cutting around her. So I was yeah. wondering what was happening there. Um, but, you know, it was. It, I never suspected Kirby was the killer anyway. But they had a fun curveball at the end, thanks to Dermot Moroni. I enjoyed that. Something I also loved about this movie is, um, thanks to a monologue from Jasmine Savoy Brown, she talks about how this is um, a second version of Scream 2, uh, the sequel to the requel. So Mm -hmm. she she teases that there will be comparisons to Scream 2. And I kept thinking that meant the killer was going to be the on-air reporter who was talking about the murders because that's Mm. what Debbie Salt was. But no, it was a throwback to Scream 2 and that it was about the family of the last killer. Uh, So I I just thought that was like a cool twist. And and also, the movie ends on a stage the way that Scream 2 ends on a stage. That was really well done. Even though... The final set piece was fantastic, by the way. I really love that like when they killed them too they walk out and you think you're getting the credits but it's the credits to richie's movie yes right a little bit tar if you will yeah (laughs) um overall i would put this one at at least up there with scream one and scream two for me wow in terms of in terms of like fun i would put it slightly over scream three which i just rewatched. I was just like, I need to rewatch Scream 6 again to see how it all holds up. I think Scream 3 gets a lot of flack from people. Um, it, I think it's immensely rewatchable. I think it's so fucking funny. It leans into comedy more, but like um, every moment in it is just like, it's really fun and goofy. And Parker Posey carries that movie on her back. Right. I think it's one, two, four, six, three, and five about tied for me. Mm hmm. Um, I think something that I have trouble getting over is it does feel like it, it's the sixth installment of, of a movie. Like to me, it's it's like we're celebrating Christmas still in March. I love Christmas. Yeah. It's worse the the more <laughs> you do it, even if it's good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so it feels like we're in this Jurassic World Minions Seven version of Scream. <laughs> even though I think I like all the performances in it, um, uh, and. I, I do look forward to it going on. I kind of look forward to them getting rid of a couple of these characters, though, because yeah. I feel like they've had their time. Yeah. I mean, listen, what the, the big high point, too, is that the directors of the film, Tyler Gillette and Matt Bettinelli Open, you know, they did Ready or Not. Uh, and I liked Ready or Not a bit more than you did. Right. Yeah. But I would say from Ready or Not to Scream 5 to Scream 6, they are obviously improving in their craft. Yes, I think this is better than Ready or Not, a movie that I thought was obsessed with telling you the fun murder mystery rules of the movie before knowing she would survive anyway. It was trying trying to break convention while giving you convention, I thought. Right. And so this is definitely better. So I'm excited to see what they do with Seven, which would wrap up maybe this trilogy or whatever, you know? So, and I think that what's really smart is, Listen, they gave Gail the chase scene that she's deserved since Scream 2, mm-hmm. um, which was still my favorite moment in the franchise ever. 
With uh, the glass, yeah. With the glass and running through, you know, like the building and then her seeing Dewey get stabbed. Um, it's fantastic. Um, but I think that now Gail needs a rest. Nev needs a rest. Because listen, the franchise, it's a franchise. It's not going to fucking die. So no. bring them back for like, you know, Scream 10, like a big legacy one in a few years, you know, where like they're finally there and then you really get like, I don't know, an end to it. Sydney burning down the fucking factory that still makes these ghost face masks or something, okay? <laughs> she, she, I can't believe they still make in these the masks. Let's nip this in the bud, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe they still make these masks. <laughs> I do like that, though. I like the idea that these people will kind of just rotate in and out, and you don't need them necessarily in any one particular chapter. I think yeah. that's the smartest way to handle it. One thing I would love, I've, I've always wanted one where you see the killer doing it the entire time. Yeah. But two, I just feel like now that Sam is like sort of like a vigilant, she loves slicing and dicing people, which yeah. is great. And um, she's which, got, by the way, she improved since the last movie, by the way. She Melissa has. Barrera, yes. Um, I would say give, give us like a whole vigilante scream movie, you know, like get these kids on Reddit in chat rooms, finding people who are like, yeah, I want to commit some murders, and then just show up at their house and stab the fuck out of them. (laughs) (laughs) This is sort of what the TV show Swarm is, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, really fun movie. So, um, Thumbs up for me. I wavered a couple of times. Thumbs up for me. Thumbs up for me, too. Look at us. We're We're Siskel and Eber. Damn it. (laughs) There's a monster at the end of this book. We're the monster. Anyway. All right, when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode, as usual. Lewis, what's your keep it? Um, This is a keep it I'm mainly excited for. So it's a micro Mm. keep it about something I'm excited for. But uh, we were just wondering what the hell happened to Lucas Hedges, who... I don't while Truly. he's out, yes while he's out there avoiding his destiny of playing me in a biopic guys there just aren't that many people with close set eyes and a huge nose I'm sorry I need to protect my kind um, we finally found out what he's doing he's going to be starring in a London production of an adaptation of Brokeback Mountain with Mike Faced from uh, West Side Story I'm so turned on by that man nobody has talked about that movie in the past year and it was great I loved almost everything about West Side Story. But anyway, on the poster for this adaptation, which, by the way, of course, won an Oscar for Diana Osana and Larry McMurtry, who um, adapted Annie Proulx's story. Annie Proulx still around at, I believe, the age of 87. Um, this poster, I get that they are trying to reference the iconic uh, outfits in the original movie, the Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal looks. It has to look a little bit like they belong in the 1960s. These outfits fit so well. First of all, you just have to be gay to get that fit, first of all. But second of all, the the fit is so right that from the neck down, they look like Tegan and Sarah. I mean, <laughs> I don't believe in the ruggedness of this. You're right. You know what I mean? Like the, the masculinity stakes aren't there for me right now. Well, it is theater, okay? I mean, the first time that they have sex on stage, um, they break out into a rendition of um, Closer. Oh. <laughs> That'll be nice. <laughs> the Tegan and Sarah version. Right, the, yes. Nine Inch Nails. N- well, or Neo. <laughs> wow, there's lots of options there. Or the movie with Natalie Portman. I love that we're in this era of um, people being into cowboys fucking again. We had God's Own Country recently. Yes. And now we've got um, 
my king, um, Almodovar's new short, which is starring Pedro Pascal, uh, Ethan Hawke, right. and Manu Rios, um, which is a lot of movies coming out right now that's just going to be my full personality sure. going forward. That movie, the new uh, Michaela Cole and Hathaway movie with music by Charlie XCX. It's just like, yeah, it seems fuck? like this is this is my year. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, you're going to get your shot. Thank God. I, I am curious how they will make Brokeback Mountain uh, a stage show, though, because even though it feels like it just all takes place in this pastoral idyll, there's a lot of locations in it. Like, they're in the house, they're, uh, it t- takes place in the future, in the past, so I'm, I'm curious how that will work out. Yeah, not really giving you unity of stage and yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> as it were. You don't, you don't even have a theater degree, do you? I do. I do. I thought you were just film. No, I have a BA in theater from um, Loyola University. Oh, wow. It's even Chicago. less impressive when you spell it all out like that. Wow. <laughs> Ira, what's your keep it this week? My keep it goes to the reactions online to um, – Chloe Bailey getting her back blown out in Swarm. <laughs> Enlighten me. I, I've, I know the scene in question. Uh, so Swarm is a new Amazon series. Um, shout out to our former co-host who wrote an episode of the series. Um, but the show is about this beehive-esque fandom. It's basically Beyonce. Right. You know, you it's, know? Da- it's, it's down to the number of Grammys this singer Nyjah has. Nija is a, you know, a singer in the universe. And, you know, Dominic Fishback plays a fan of hers. And uh, instead of the beehive, the fandom is called The Swarm. And basically, you know, it's about the dark sides of fandom. It's about mental health um, in the black community as well. Uh, basically, this girl is just, she's killing people. She's getting away with murder. Annalise Keating uh, has nothing on this bitch. Nowhere okay? to be found. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, she's roommates with Chloe Bailey, uh, who is having sex with Damson Idris, uh, and he's from the series Snowfall. Um, my interview with him in Bustle is out today, uh, if you want to read that. Um, Thank you, out. Tina Brown. All right. Shout out. <laughs> um, but there's a scene where he's fucking her in it, you know, and all of a sudden, I I knew this scene would go viral online, mostly because um, a friend of mine who works at Amazon had showed me a screener of it early on, and I was like, "Oh no, this scene is going to be the internet's going to be talking." Yeah, right. Um, the streets it's, are going to be talking. Yeah, it's and, a pretty noisy scene too. Yeah, and the streets are talking, but the streets are being misogynistic. Oh. <laughs> Well, they've been that way before. I'm not too surprised. Of course, of course. Uh, the street, the streets have been, <laughs> the streets have been misogynistic since Diana was being dirty on them. But <laughs> Chloe, it's just being called every name in the book. She's been called a Jezebel. <laughs> She's been called a whore. Uh, Mo- Monique, it's it's like, it's like Monique in Charm School, you know, like <laughs> where she called Pumpkin uh, the whore of Charm School. Uh, and then called her a slutatious whore as well. Um, it's it's giving Susical. It's giving right. Susical. It's wow. I it I know we've talked before about sex scenes and TV and film and you know like the puritans who are out there now, right. but now we shift it to this thing where people are tweeting like, "You couldn't pay me, you know, to like you couldn't pay me to get." 
fucked, you know, every way from Sunday on like a TV show like this. I'm like, hey, do you know what acting is anymore? And also, by the way, yes, you could. <laughs> Enough money, you'd get up on the bed, please. Okay. Unless you're Jordan Firstman, you're not actually having sex on camera. Right, right. I forget that we are getting that. It was that some Sundance movie or something? Yeah. Um, you know? So, come on. And by the way, the focus should be Dominique Fishback, one hell of an actress. She's so fun uh, oh, on this iconic. TV show. I do have to say about this show, I've seen now four episodes. And by the way, Billie Eilish appears. And I was wowed. I thought she was fabulous She's so in her good. episode. Such a good actress. Um, I do feel like it has that like self-conscious edginess of a movie like Promising Young Woman where it makes the product seem worse. Like I don't feel like it's incredibly badass to watch somebody just kill somebody and move on. And you're, I think you're supposed to perpetually be thrilled by that. And I do think it gets a little boring, actually. Yeah. I mean, maybe a season two will happen and that will – um you know, it's from Donald Glover, and I I really love Donald Glover's work, and I think that, like, once you get into, like, some weird, surreal stuff, um, maybe it'll have a bit more to say once it tells the story it initially wants to tell, you know? But um, I sort of agree. And also, my one complaint, this is another keep it, Nyjah, I'm not standing. I agree. It's, okay, the and casting's this is not always, good enough. Yeah, this is yeah. always the problem. It's like it's not hot enough for me to be, you know, spending money on plane tickets to Amsterdam, which is what I'm doing for the Renaissance tour. Okay, like it, you know, an artist like that needs to be interesting, but also mainstream as well. You know, like that it needs to be like really commanding of a cult. You know, right, right, right. People well, would it, kill for Beyonce. Are people killing for Solange? Interesting. Um, no, it reminds me of the movie Punchline, where it's like, we need to believe that these are, you know, top-tier stand-up comedians or whatever, and unfortunately, they added the jokes last or something, and so it's like, well, this is completely deflated. And Sally Field, I'm going to say it, you're not Paula Poundstone. You love that movie. <laughs> I mean, you imagine love bringing not, up that movie. It, it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's a movie I can't believe exists. And also, it, it's like right at the zenith of both Sally Field and Tom Hanks' careers, and it's exactly wrong, you know? It's a movie like Aloha, all the right people in the right place, the right-looking movie. It's so bad. Mm, Lions for Lambs. <laughs> yes, yes. Or Night and Day. This is, oh, yes. This is why we pay you the big bucks for Lions for Lambs references right there. <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of Night and Day, you know what movie is just reverse Night and Day? Go um, on. Ghosted, that Anna de Armas Chris Evans movie. Oh, right. You look at awesome. the trailer, you're like, oh, this is reverse Night and Day. We Good should just swap more Tom Cruise movies. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Start what's with Valkyrie. Sexy, <laughs> what's a sexy female race car driver? <laughs> uh, uh, Heart, Heart Like a Wheel in the 80s with Bonnie Bedelia as Shirley Muldowney. Look it up. Is it good? I didn't say that. Will I like it? I think you'll like the poster. Okay. Well, that's our episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Jessica Williams for joining us. Uh, and we will see you next week. Don't forget to follow us at Crooked Media on Instagram and Twitter and subscribe to Keep It on YouTube for access to full episodes and other exclusive content. Plus, if you're as opinionated as we are, consider dropping us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III, that's me, and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. 
Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Nar Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for production support every week. And as always, keep it as filmed in front of a live studio audience.